Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Daryl Scott, and our topic is A Daughter's Martyrdom, the Columbine Columbine Tragedy. Daryl is the father of Rachel Scott, who was killed in April 1999 when two teenagers entered Columbine High School, Littleton, Colorado, and opened fire on students and teachers. In the aftermath of the killings, it was learned that the killers specifically targeted Rachel Scott and mocked her Christian faith on their chilling homemade videos. On this show, her father talks about Rachel's life and how he has found meaning in his daughter's martyrdom. He and his wife are authors of Rachel's Tears. Using excerpts and drawings from Rachel's own journals, her parents offer a spiritual perspective on the Columbine tragedy and provide a vision of hope for preventing youth violence across the nation. From the horror of the Columbine tragedy has emerged a ministry that has brought healing and hope to millions of people around the world. Welcome to the show, Daryl. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you today. It's great to have you on the show, and uh, you really did it a little on short notice because we had read that you had testified before the House Judiciary Committee, Subcommittee of Congress, and uh, I usually like to get my guest books, Rachel's Tears, but I didn't have time to pick it up, but I surely will. It sounds like a wonderful book. Could you tell us something about Rachel, Carol? Well, Rachel was my middle child. I have five children, and my wife has three children, so there's eight of us, and uh, eight is enough. Nice big group. But uh, now we, you know, there's seven left, and mm-hmm. there's always that uh, hole in your heart for the eighth one. And yeah. every time there's, and you know, that feeling when there's holidays, when there's birthdays, and sometimes it's just a random song or or uh, something that you see that brings yeah. back all the memories. Rachel was uh, very vivacious, had a personality that was very outgoing, very bubbly, and she lit up a room when she walked in. And she had some very, very high ambitions in life. She wanted to be two things. She wanted to be an actress and she wanted to be a missionary. Mm-hmm. And we never could reconcile those two, but amazingly, <laughs> her life has become both that of an actress and a missionary. Mm-hmm. She's inspired literally over 5,000 young people that we know of to go to third world countries and help feed the hungry and help build homes for the homeless. And even though she never got to be an actress, her brother's now involved in uh, making motion pictures, and, and there's a major motion picture being made on her life that will be in oh, that a right? couple years from now. Ah, so um, she was uh, shot, what, seven years ago? No, uh, yes, it's been just over seven years, April 20th, 1999. Now, your family has done a tremendous amount since that event, uh, you know, all together as a family, haven't you? Well, we've, you know, it, it feels like we've been on a conveyor belt it, you know, just the things begin to happen, and shortly after the tragedy, I testified before Congress that the issue really wasn't gun control. It was influences on the hearts of young people. Now, that was a while ago. I just received it. I thought it was recently, but no. it was quite a while ago then. Yeah, the, the, it's, that's been on the Internet for, it's on about 10,000 websites, and it gets circulated every once in a while, and Unfortunately, it starts off saying last Thursday, Daryl Scott spoke before. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I continually met, I meet people who say, I heard that you spoke before Congress last week. So. And you're like, oh, my gosh, not. No. Well, 
tell us a little bit about that day, will you, for our audience and and how you know in the at the time during that. A lot of our audience are newly bereaved, and uh, how your family's made it, and how you've you know what you've done. Well, my heart goes out to everyone who's lost a child, and, and of course uh, your family has experienced that, and you've experienced that, and. Uh, you know, one of the things that you've chosen to do and that we've chosen to do is to celebrate the life of our children. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, that's one of the things I encourage parents to do because grief can be so deep and so, you know, and then there's an appropriate time for the grief to take place in the morning. But there is light at the end of the tunnel, and there's a place to begin to celebrate the memories and the life of the people we lost. And I know that one of my friends uh, who lost his son that day, John Tomlin, told me that he said I was so angry and so bitter and I went and he said that night <clears throat> after we learned that John was one of the victims because none of us knew the night that it happened. We we found out at noon on the twenty first of April, the next day. Officially oh. we got word. We now, how did that happen? They they wouldn't let you in the school or No, we or couldn't get on the school people? grounds and our only hope was that they were in the hospitals and we called every hospital. It's a long story but mm. uh there were some mistakes made because uh, we should have known a lot sooner. But John yeah. said that night, he, on the night of the 21st, he said, I just went into the bathroom, didn't realize my wife was taking a shower, and he said, I, I just heard her praying, and he said she was just thanking God for the 17 years that we had with mm-hmm. John. And he said, I was so convicted because I'd just been full of bitterness and anger. And he said, it changed my whole perspective, and I began to appreciate the time that we had together. And uh, for our family, we made the choice pretty much as a family, to to uh, to forgive and to let go and to celebrate Rachel's life rather than just to focus now, on... Now, when did you do that? Because I will tell you, a lot of what um, we hear is about the mistakes and the anger, and Heidi and I uh, will be presenting and do present at the uh, Compassionate Friends National Conference, and I will actually do a workshop on anger. And... Um, People are still pretty angry, and there there were a lot of mistakes made. I mean, how do how did you deal with that? You know, early on, what can you tell our folks that, are, you know, maybe it's in the past year, and you know, how long does it take, and what do you do with it? Well, I think you have to be realistic about your own feelings and acknowledge them. And anger and bitterness and all of those things are real, <laughs> but but at some point you have to deal with them. You know, yeah, how, how long do you think to, it takes? How long were you really angry? I mean, was it weeks? Well, days, for me months? personally, I, I think you you know each one of our family members went through a different type of struggle. Good point. And, yeah. and for me personally, I didn't deal a lot with anger. I dealt more with just a deep sense of sorrow and and the question why why someone so beautiful and so full of life why two young men and I never viewed Eric and Dylan as monsters I viewed them as young men who made wrong choices and had influences that they chose that eventually had a lot to do with the things that they did and now they, they went re- in yeah they went in and um, w- there was some videotape with Rachel on it or something did I hear that they actually targeted her yeah, on the internet no? right there was a lot of misinformation okay. that was out there and I don't you know <laughs> I just ha- I just Share from my opinion and my viewpoint. Uh, I don't. I think that the ones who were killed were killed randomly. Uh, uh-huh. There was, you know, there were things in the news about people being targeted. And Eric and Dylan's initial people forget that their initial goal was to kill over 500 people. They planted bombs in the cafeteria. Oh, if those bombs had have exploded, over 500 people would have died. Uh-huh. So they didn't go to the school to target 
certain individuals as much as they did to kill as many as they could. It was after the bombs failed to explode that they did take their guns and uh, and began to shoot. And, and they shot Rachel from a distance. I don't even think they recognized who she was because they shot a number of people outside the school. However, on, on uh, audio tape before the tragedy, videotape, they, they made five hours of videotape in which they did mis- mention Rachel's name and they uh, talked about Christians, they talked about Jewish people, they talked about uh, blacks. So they they had they were all over the board with their plan. Uh-huh. Uh, but when it came to the actual killing, my personal opinion is it was random. Yeah, Rachel's yeah. life is, you know, the, the focus for so many people is on, on what the death. Right. But our focus is on her life. And we have a school program called Rachel's Challenge that's been all over the world. And we have seven full-time speakers that share her story. And her story is about what she did as, as a person. I love that. I love that you're focusing on the 17 years that you had her in your life. And yes, that, that really is the focus. We were just talking about, Heidi and I have had a little misinformation. I bet there's been a huge amount of it for you, hasn't there, oh, your yeah. family? I <laughs> yeah, mean, it, it's always that way when, you know, when there's a lot of media involved because there's so many different variations of different stories. Right. It is, how have you dealt with the media? Just uh, for deviate to that a little bit because we have uh, a lot of folks who have have had some high profile kinds of things you know murder and mm-hmm. that kind of thing how, how did you deal with the media and how would do you have any tips for them and the fact that your yeah. your loss has been so public i think uh, i think that it's so easy to to get you know upset with the media because they're they're doing a job and sometimes there's good people in the media and there's bad people in the media and sometimes uh, it's not real for them you know they're just doing another day's work, whereas for you it's your life, and so you're so focused in on your own feelings, and sometimes they're not, and there are other people in the media who are. And so I've I've just kind of chosen for myself, because I did thousands of interviews. And, I know and you've been, been on a lot of uh, big shows. Yeah, we've like been on Oprah the Today Show eight times, and on uh, Oprah Winfrey, and on Larry King Live, and on O'Reilly Factor, and, and I've just learned to kind of just take things with tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> I think life is much simpler when you do that, and it's, mm-hmm. it's much easier to laugh at yourself and laugh at the mistakes of others. And uh, for the most part, I've, I've uh, made friends with the media because <clears throat> there are things that they do that have, have helped our cause, and, mm-hmm. and I think that if we're antagonistic toward them, uh, it, it only hurts us. Well, just and, for the folks that are early, how were you with them in the very beginning? I mean, how did you deal with it? In the beginning, I think I was a little more frustrated because there was a lot of mistakes made and information that was wrong, and it irritated me because it was my daughter, and it was, you know, a tragedy that so deeply affected our lives. And then I just came to realize that that's, that's the way it is. The media makes mistakes. and uh, How long did it take you? Uh, pretty quickly. Uh, because well, I think quick. because I started living with the media, because I started traveling and speaking a short time after the tragedy, and everywhere I went there was seven or eight cameras, and, uh, you know, it was constant media attention for the first two years. So you got comfortable with all these cameras? Yeah. Yeah, I actually thought it was going to be that way the rest of my life mm-hmm. <laughs> because it became so, so, uh, part, so much a part of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And we still oh. have a lot of local, you know, media attention when we're there. Well, and do you see uh, things coming up too with different uh, different tragedies at other places or nine eleven or do you get? Oh yeah, we, I meet a lot of uh, victims' families, and uh, I do have done workshops and, and been the keynote speaker for a lot of different victim organizations. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I've met people across the board. The one thing I've really noticed is that tragedy can, you know, like anything else in our lives, it can make us bitter or it can make us better, and we we have to make like choices. Mm-hmm. Bitter or better, it yeah. It can make us bitter or, or it can make us better. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes us different. That's for sure, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Life is never the same. There's there's a hole in our heart that's never quite healed. Yep, absolutely. Well, Rachel, um, Gwen on her website is um, very impressive. Uh, um, the pictures of her, she is such a lovely woman, or young beautiful. lady. Well, it is you. definitely a celebration to her life, and that's one of the things I'm struck with that your ministry is doing and that your family is doing. You're celebrating her life and everything that she did in her life. Well, Rachel's story is pretty unique because she <clears throat> she had a... Uh, strong premonition that she would die at a young age and we that's part of what we actually talk about in schools we have two nonprofit organizations one of them is a ministry called Columbine Redemption the other is a secular school program that focuses on acts of kindness and compassion and yeah, I think uh, that's wonderful the kindness and compassion how would people get a hold of those uh, on the web or how would they get a hold of the school of you? program is on rachelschallenge.com just the word r a c h e l s challenge.com and there's an eight minute video that, that's pretty powerful that tells a little bit about her and about what we're doing and uh, there's been a couple television documentaries on Rachel's life and a number I have roughly 30 books written by different authors that tell segments of her story but one of the one of the parts of her story that really stand out to people is that uh, she she wrote in her diaries that <clears throat> she believed her life was going to impact the world. In fact, when she was 13 years old, she drew an outline of her hand, mm-hmm. and in the center of her hand she wrote and said, these hands belong to Rachel Joy Scott and will someday touch millions of people's hearts. And didn't she put that hand also on the back of a cabinet? Yes, the drawing was on the back of an old mirror, yes. which was on her dresser. And her sister Dana and her had drawn some things and wrote some things on the back of the old mirror, and we didn't find it until two years after Rachel died because it had been up against a wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, and by the time we actually read those words, what she had prophetically said had already happened because her funeral was the largest viewing audience in CNN's history. And then within two years of her death, we had already spoken to over two million people, not, count- not counting the, the media, which had touched millions of people. That's powerful. So the other thing was that uh, she drew a picture shortly before she, well, 20 minutes before she died, she drew a picture mm-hmm. of her eyes and a, a trickle of tears falling mm-hmm. from her eyes, and the tears are watering a rose that's growing out of the ground. And you have this photo. I've seen this photo on your website. Yeah, that, and that story is pretty amazing because the week before I ever saw that picture, it was in her diary, uh, it was in her backpack the day she died, I got a phone call from a man by the name of Frank Media who lived in Ohio at the time. Today he lives in Miami. Frank was a very successful businessman. And he called me up a week, uh, six weeks after Rachel died. And he said, uh, Mr. Scott, you don't know who I am, but he said, uh, we've never met. But he said, you're probably going to think I'm crazy when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. He said, I've had a reoccurring dream about your daughter for the last week, the last two weeks, actually. And he said, it's the same dream every night. My family knows about it. Some of my key employees know about it. And he described in the dream, he said, I see your daughter's eyes and there's a trickle of tears falling from her eyes and the tears are bringing life out of the ground. Something's growing out of the ground, but I can't quite tell what it is. 
And he said, I know how crazy that sounds. And he said, I've never had this kind of dream before in my life. I don't know what it means. And I told him, I'm sorry, it didn't mean anything. And then one week later, I was called to go pick up Rachel's backpack at the police station. And when I took out her books and her final diary, I turned to the last page of her diary, and, and staring at me was the picture that this man had described in a dream of her oh, eyes and tears. And there were 13 clear tears falling from her eyes before they touched the rose, America's national flower, and turned to blood drops. Within two hours of her drawing that picture, 13 people had been murdered at Columbine, and the rose was growing out of a the rose was growing out of a Columbine flower. So, wow, that gives me chills. That's amazing. Absolutely. There's a lot more to that story, but it was just that you know, for us, it was just little bits and pieces of confirmation that Rachel's life did have meaning and did have value and and did count. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So now tell me a little bit uh, about Rachel's Tears, the book. Yeah, you and you, Rachel's mother were uh, not we were divorced, uh -huh. is that right? And you still wrote a book together. Yeah, we we felt like it was the right thing to do to honor Rachel's life from, you know, from the two households that she lived in and from both of our perspectives. And our problems had been resolved, you know, before Rachel ever died. So mm -hmm. we were able to do that, and, and I was glad that we did. That's quite a, a an amazing, rich thing. Two whole families coming together, and and uh, and all these siblings. And Heidi, do you have any questions about these the siblings that you want to? I know. Yeah, my mother and I were talking before. We were kind of perusing through your website and talking over the phone about how it's really become a family. Your family's taken on this life's work, and uh, your kids have gotten very involved. And we were just very impressed with what Craig and Dana have done. And all the people that they've spoken to in Germany and Bermuda and all over the world, basically. Well, Craig was in the library the day that the Columbine tragedy happened at the school, and he was in the killing zone. He was the only person in the library that lost a sibling. <clears throat> but they, the two boys, Eric and Dylan, came into the library and opened fire, and uh, Craig was with two of his closest friends, Isaiah Scholes and Matthew Kector. Uh, they were both on the football team. Craig was on the wrestling team, and... The three of them were talking when the boys burst into the room, and they, the three of them jumped underneath the table together. And Craig witnessed as 10 of his classmates all around him were shot and killed. 27 were wounded. Oh, my gosh. And uh, they came to the table where he and his two friends were, and they taunted one of his friends, Isaiah, with racial slurs. Isaiah was black, and he was taunted for 30 seconds before they shot and killed him. Mm -hmm. and then they shot Matthew Kector, who were on each side of Craig, so Craig was literally covered in their blood, and they turned their guns on Craig, and, and the, the split second before they pulled the trigger, the sprinkler system went off from smoke from gunshots, and when the water fell, it distracted the two boys, and they turned away from Craig and never came back to that table, or I would have lost two children. That would have been, yeah. Craig came within a half second of dying. So his whole life was, we kept him out of school for a year. We, yeah, we I was going to ask you, for our for our listeners out there who have had another child traumatized, right. what do you have to say to them and how, tell us how you handled it for them? Well, I think that Craig was probably the, the biggest emotional victim of the Columbine tragedy because he's the only one that lost a sibling that was in the killing zone, plus two friends, plus looking down the office. barrel of two guns thinking he was going to die. I mean, right. he experienced the ultimate trauma. And watched all this blood splattering on him as people were murdered. And so what we did, 
we didn't know what to do. I mean, there's no manual. There's no advice right. to give, you know. Exactly. And Sometimes they say, well, go back <clears> to you know, the way you're, you know, get kids back up and running in school right away. But in this case, that wouldn't have been a good situation for Well, we, we actually gave him the choice, and he uh-huh. he did choose to go back, but he was just in a, uh, you know, just a catatonic state right. of mind. He couldn't function. And he had nightmares for a solid year. He would wake up screaming at night. And uh, so we we had him in counseling. People were praying for him all over the world because he did an interview with Katie Couric that was, in fact, he's going to be on her final show on, on May 31st. May 31st. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, I'll have to watch it. Uh, she said, Katie said it was the most memorable uh, interview she's ever done. Wow. But Craig, was he was kept, uh, we kept him out of school for a year and just loved on him. And we let I love that. Wait a minute. You just loved on him. For audience, they loved on him. That is a wonderful comment. That is wonderful. And we let him, we, we just let him be angry. We, we let him be what he was. And it just, you know, it worked itself out over a period of time. And he was able to see the rest of us handling it in a different way. I just wanted to say something quickly as a brief sibling. Um, something that you've done, Daryl, which I think is so wonderful and advice I would give to all parents out there, is that you allowed your son, you, you not only acknowledged and validated his loss and everything he'd been through, but you also allowed him to have his anger. And uh, you made that okay. And I think that's really important because we realized that Craig had been through things that we couldn't even comprehend. He saw and experienced things that I just had to admit, I, I, I'm not a, in a position to judge him at all. Daryl, let me break in just one second because we just went on to break. And for people who have just tuned in, I wanted to tell them that Craig was actually in the library under the table when his two friends were shot by um, the, uh, the two gunmen at Columbine High School. Okay, sorry. To here's, here's the amazing thing about Craig's story. He not only lost two friends who were killed right beside him, he lost his sister. Yeah. He stared down the barrel of two guns and thought he was going to die in the sprinkler system saved his life when the sprinkler system went off and distracted the boys. But Craig had another issue to deal with that we didn't know about at first. And I noticed that when uh, we were doing interviews on national television and sometimes local stations and Craig would be interviewed, uh, all of us had wonderful stories of our last memory with Rachel. Like I I had a two-hour talk with her just a couple days before she died and we said everything. We left nothing unsaid. We expressed our love to each other, and it was a wonderful memory for me. And my daughter Bethany had a great memory, and you know, all of us did. But when Craig would be asked that question, I would notice that he would get real quiet. And so he was struggling with so many issues at that time that I began to suspect that he and Rachel had had a fight the day mm-hmm. that, that they died, that, that Rachel died. And... uh I wasn't sure, but I but I began to put two and two together. So one day I I just asked God for wisdom to know how to deal with that. I didn't know what to do, or even to dare approach that. And uh, so I got up one morning and I really felt like I was given a solution or an answer. And so I invited Craig to go with me. I said I want to take you somewhere special. So we got in the car and uh, we drove to Rachel's grave and of course by the time we got halfway there he knew where we were going and uh, we stood by her grave and I said I put my arm around him and I said Craig you were in the killing zone Rachel was killed outside the school and she should have lived and you know you could have easily died and I said you're probably at times struggle with guilt about that and I said I just want to talk a little bit about that and 
then I just asked him outright. I said, if I'm wrong about this, please forgive me, but did you and Rachel have a fight that morning? And he just broke. And he said, I can't really tell this story without crying. He said, he said, yes, Dad, we did. He said, my last memory was slamming the door and yelling at her. And the next time I saw her, she was in a casket. And he said, I just don't know if I can live with that. And <clears throat> that's when I felt like God gave me wisdom to address that. And I said, you know, Rachel is lying. Her body lies here six feet below our feet. And it could have easily been you in the casket and Rachel standing here because she was outside the killing zone. You were in the killing zone. And if that had happened, Craig, I just want to ask you a question. If you were in the casket and Rachel was standing here with me by your grave, and I said to her, did you have a fight with Craig that day, what would she say? And he said, she would say yes. And I said, well, what was she doing when you were yelling at her? And he said, well, she was yelling at me. <laughs> and I said, I want you to look me in the eye, and I want to tell you something. If it had been reversed, and you were in the casket, and she was standing here, would you want her life to be ruined because brothers and sisters do what brothers and sisters do. They get in fights all, from time to time. Would you want her life to be ruined? And tears just ran down his face, and he said, No, Dad, I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I said, Then if you are really wanting to honor your sister's life, you stop it, and you forgive yourself right now. And don't you ever beat yourself up again, because she was just as guilty as you, and she loved you, and you know that, and you loved her, and she knows that. Yeah. So I want you to stop. And you know what? He did. <laughs> you know what? And you know what, Daryl? With that in mind, you know, I do a lot of sibling workshops, and we talk a lot about fighting with our brothers and sisters. And, you know, the bottom line is, like you said, that's normal behavior. When you really love someone, when you love your brother and sister, they're worth investing energy in, and they're worth fighting with. Absolutely. Because you love them so much, you're, you're going to put that energy into a relationship. It's and you know that story has, I think, helped heal a lot of people because I have a lot of people come up after. Uh, and, and Craig wants me to share that, and he shares that when he yeah. talks. He's free from it, you know. And yeah. uh, we see a lot of healing come from that. Now, how long after her death did this happen? It was about, I would say, maybe six months okay. after her death. So people hang in because... Things might be crazy for a while, huh? Yeah, oh yeah. The first, you know, one of the worst things that, that anyone can do, in my opinion, because I'm called a lot after there's a tragedy and people, well-meaning people want me to come and talk to someone who's lost a child or, and I tell them, you know what, I would, I will drop what I'm doing if that parent knows me and they want me to come, but I'm not going to do it for that parent's friend. Mm -hmm. Because, I didn't want a stranger coming and trying to console me. I wanted my family and friends around me. Right. And I think sometimes we just need to step back when there's been a, a tragedy and let things unfold. And yeah. let people be with their grief and not try to fix it. That's right. Yeah. Now, how, how long was it before Craig went back to school? He didn't go back until, uh, let's see, he was out for a full year. So it wasn't okay. until a year later. He graduated a year later, but I can tell you that the end of his story is wonderful. He found purpose out of out of the tragedy. Mm -hmm. And how has he done that? Well, he came. I, I never for, will forget. He came in the room one day, in the living room one day, and he said, "Dad, I've got." He said, "I found, I know what I want to do with my life." 
And this was two year, two and a half years after the tragedy, and and uh, I saw a change take place in him when he when he told me that. He said, "I I saw the influence of the media in Eric and Dylan's life. He saw them playing out the a certain movie that they had watched over a hundred times, a very violent movie. And he said, I, he said, I want to be a, a movie producer, and I want to have an impact on the lives of young people in a positive way, and I want to produce movies that are going to have a positive influence, and." Uh, I watched him from that point, that was five years ago, and I have seen miracles take place because he set goals for his life. Today he's going to Colorado Film Institute. He's already worked on three uh, sets. He was uh, part of, he was assistant to producer in the movie End of Spear, which was a powerful story of missionaries who were killed by Indians. Oh, yes, yes, America, I know about that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Major story, major uh, very positive story. Right. And uh, Michael Flaherty, who's president of Walden Media, is a friend of ours. And uh, Michael uh, produced the Chronicles of Narnia and the Ray Charles story. Yeah, I love that. And uh, Craig has been invited to now participate in the next Chronicles of Narnia movie. Wow. And so he's found a place, hopefully with Walden Media, whose goal is to also do positive movies. So coming from what could look like a victim, um, to that is wonderful. Heidi, talk about your story a little bit. You certainly come a, had this impact to your life also. Well, well, I'd, I'd also like to say first, Joe, that I think that he, your son, Craig, has such a powerful story, and uh, I would love for him to be a guest on our show, hearing his story, because I think he could really benefit other bereaved siblings. Uh-huh, and I'm sure he would. Oh, that would be great. With what he's been through and with his honesty about everything he's been through, um, I think that would be important for our other siblings to hear. Um, yeah, I think that I, I went through, you know, a little something a little similar. It was a little different, but, you know, the fact that after Scott died, I kind of didn't know what to do with my life and pretty much dropped out for a while. And, uh, and your cousin died with him. <laughs> yeah. My cousin and my brother died together. And kind of I had to examine my life and figure out why am I here? Why was it not me that died? What is my purpose? What is my meaning? And I wanted to go and do something with my life so that my brother's death was not in vain, basically. Um and that's give wonderful. back and help other people like like your family has. Well, that's yeah. wonderful. Well, I'm glad that you did that, and I'm I'm proud of Craig. I've you know he still at times has his struggles, but they've come less and less. You know that's so great for our audience to hear that out there, Daryl. Particularly how hard it was at first and anger and all that, because you know how people worry so much about their teenagers after their other children die and their and their little kids and their remaining kids. You want to keep them safe, but you're so crazy yourself. It's yeah. so difficult. And, and also that he's in a good place, but yet he still has his struggles sometimes because that's also a normal part of grieving. Right. It does come in waves, and at some moments we're hit with memories and with sadness, and that's that's okay. Yeah. Well, I, you know, uh, talk a little bit, and we'll probably go to break before you finish and we can uh, come back. We're not going to break yet, but talk a little bit about what you're doing in the schools. You guys are traveling all over, and, and uh, your kids are with you, and... Are you doing the uh, your educational programs? Does Craig go to those? And well, I know you said Dana goes as well, right? Yeah, Dana. our program is called Rachel's Challenge, and we <clears throat> Dana is a full time speaker. Uh, she's out all the time speaking. We were, for example, at Long Island over the last three months. We've done over 150 of their schools, middle schools and high schools. And uh, one of our speakers is Shane Hammond, who's the strongest man in America. He's broken every weightlifting record that exists. Wow. And he's been our national champion for the last nine years. He's represented us in two Olympics. And Shane's just got a heart as big as he is. He was just wow. deeply moved by Rachel's life and story. And uh, 
Craig is part-time because he is going to Colorado Film Institute, and he's uh, wanting to graduate from, uh, I think it's UCLA. He wants to get his uh, postgraduate work. And uh, he's already got, you know, great opportunities in film in the film industry. And he'll probably be involved with uh, Rachel's movie as well. But uh, the, the, the essence of our program is that we have five challenges that we give to students. The first came from, from Craig's experience of uh, seeing his friend Michael, uh, his friend Isaiah Scholes uh, taunted with racial slurs. And our first challenge is to uh, get rid of prejudice. And we, we challenged them from Rachel's writing where she wrote what she called My Ethics, My Codes of Life, a two-page essay. It's sort of the foundation for our program. And she said the best way to get rid of prejudice is to look for the best in others. And so all of our focus is on positive things, nothing negative, not anti-prejudice, but pro-looking for the best. And we point out that if we look for the best in every individual, there's no room for prejudice. And uh, I like the, that, Daryl. Mm-hmm. The second challenge has to do with uh, with setting goals and believing in oneself and we use some illustrations. Uh, Chuck Norris is a friend of mine, and we use a story from when he was a child. He was small. He was lived in poverty. He was teased and picked on, and you know his adversity became a foundation for his accomplishments in life. He became world champion in martial arts six years in a row, a major movie star, and now has given back to the community uh, because he has a program for middle school kids to help them with their self esteem and self confidence. And and uh, then we we use a lot of illustrations from Rachel's life, and uh, I'll share a couple of those with you that really inspire young people. It's little things that she did, nothing major, but it's the little things that really make a huge difference in the world. Mm-hmm. One of the stories that we we tell is about a young girl by the name of Amber Jackson who emailed our family shortly after Rachel died, and she said, your daughter had such a huge impact on my life through a simple act of kindness. She said, my mom had died a year before Rachel did in a car wreck in Georgia. And she said, my dad moved my brothers and I to Littleton a year later, uh, a month later. Uh, and she said, it was my first day at Columbine. I didn't know anyone. I walked down the halls. People ignored me. No one made eye contact with me. I went into the cafeteria at lunchtime and sat down to have lunch by myself. And your daughter was setting a couple of tables in front of me. And she said, Rachel just glanced over her shoulder, saw me sitting there by myself, got up and left her friends, came over and invited me to join her and her friends for lunch. And she said, I really wanted to, but I was a little shy, and I told her, no, I'm okay. And she said, Rachel saw right through that. And she went and got her friends and brought them over to my table, and they sat down and had lunch with me. And she said, instantly my worst day at school became my best day at school because one person just went out of their way to show kindness. And Rachel had written an essay a month before she died And in that essay, she said, I have this theory that if one person will go out of their way to show compassion, it will start a chain reaction of the same. People will never know how far little kindness can go. And that little incident of kindness that she showed to Amber uh, fulfilled what she wrote about starting a chain reaction because Rachel didn't live to know that that story would be seen in a a television documentary on her life by millions of people and that we would share that story and high schools and middle schools all over the world. And every school in Bermuda has had our program twice. Uh, schools from Washington, the state of Washington to Florida have had our program. And we get emails by the thousands every week from students who tell us that they've gone into their cafeteria, some of them every day, some of them every week, some of them once a month, 
and they do what Rachel did. They reach out to someone new. So we seen we have seen the chain reaction started. And another quick story is that uh, you know one thing I want to say because I don't want to run out of time on this, Daryl. This is one of the things I'm thinking when I'm hearing you tell these stories about Rachel is that your acts of kindness and your being a parent who has lost a child and being willing to go out and go into the schools and tell the stories and try to change people's behavior. But the thing for our audience that is amazing is that you, as a parent, are able to do this. And well, my question to you is, what can you tell our folks out there? What were you doing before Rachel was killed? Before Rachel died, I was... Uh marketing director for a, a food company mm-hmm. and just worked with training uh, people, salespeople primarily. And, and so, after Rachel yeah. died, it, you know, everything changed. It everything changed. Were and important, weren't important anymore. Yeah. So what would you say to those folks out there? Be willing to be open to new ideas? Yeah, I think. When it's the, ready? I think that, unfortunately, we, we sometimes have tragedy open our eyes to what life is all about, and it shouldn't be that way, but it, it does happen that way. Were you yes, scared? You know, don't you think one thing that you lose is some fear? Yeah. Oh, definitely. So, suddenly, all of your priorities shift. The, mm-hmm. your, sometimes your fear is transferred from one level to another or one place to another, but you don't. suddenly the things that seemed important aren't, and things that didn't seem important are. Now, how long, you know, how long did it take you before you were kind of, well, you were asked, people wanted you to talk about it, right? Um, you know, the sure. press and all that wanted to hear your voice. Oh, yeah. Well, the, yeah, it was a major media event. So they. So you were kind of drawn out. And you were in marketing, so you'd spoken before to people? Yeah, I was comfortable in speaking. Okay, so you were comfortable. So so people are going to have to find their own avenue. But what, what I'm just thinking of for our audience out there is, there are different avenues, right, for Absolutely. people. And Absolutely. don't be afraid to change. And, you know, one of the things my daughter did was <clears throat> for her outlet, because she's not a speaker, my daughter Bethany, is that she just made a scrapbook of Rachel's life. And she, she told me, she said, that's, that was so fulfilling and healing for me to just take on that project of all the pictures that we had of Rachel. And uh, so different people find different oh, ways of expressing. Mm-hmm. What, were, what did other people do? I love that scrapbook. <clears throat> My idea. son Mike, who uh, did not ever want to talk about Columbine, and he's just now, after seven years, beginning to to talk about Rachel Moore, and and uh, we we allowed him that space. But his uh, his his outlet was Rachel's car. She had a red Acura, and he would just go and spend time in that car. And you know, he just needed that freedom and that right. space to do you that. You gave your kids freedom to grieve the way that they needed to grieve. Absolutely. I believe that's so important. Mm-hmm. And don't try, don't think that what heals you will heal them because it's different for each one of us. And it seems to me that what I'm hearing is you were kind of in a sense saying, maybe not verbally but non-verbally, look, I've lost a daughter and I know what that's like, but I don't know what it's like to lose a sibling. That's right. Okay. They didn't know what it was like to lose a daughter and I didn't know what it was like to lose a brother or sister. And so you didn't come with all the answers to them. You let them kind of show you, okay, this is what I need. And right. you were there to say, yes, okay. I'll love on you and I'll let you grieve the way you need to grieve. I think that's so good advice. I love her. I think it's yours. The I love (laughs) it. We're repeating what you said, which is fabulous. But tell us about you. We've got um, uh, families who are, um, you know, where they're step families. What about that? What about the kids that were, were they they were uh, half siblings to Rachel or? 
uh-huh. his stepfamily. What about those kids? Was there anything different? Rachel uh, had uh, uh, four stepbrothers. Three of them are my wife's sons, and one was uh, her stepdad's son. And uh, I know that with with uh, our three, Tyler, I feel like my stepsons are really my sons because I've been with them for so long. And and uh, Tyler and Rachel were closer, the, the two that were closest. And he uh, he actually was in the state finals in a championship in track. Mm-hmm. And uh, he their school won the state championship that year. And, and in the final race, he, he had to come in at least third place, and he had already run in a couple of races. And uh, he was struggling to come in third, and he said, I felt like Rachel just gave me a push. And at the last second, he nosed out into third place, and that caused their school to win the state championship. And that was just a celebration of Rachel's life, you know, too. Uh, but but each one of them, you know, just like with my children, each one of my stepchildren uh, worked things out in their own way. Each Each individual was different. Uh-huh. Like you said, each one celebrated her life in a different way. That's right. And dealt with the terrible loss and, and the change of family. The family's never the same again either. I think you've said it before, Heidi, you lose the parents you had in many ways. Right, and, and your family constellation is different because now you don't have the middle child anymore. Yeah, that's right. It, you know, holidays, I think for us, you were mentioning earlier yeah. uh, off off the radio uh, something about uh, Chris, the first Christmas. Right. And that was the... You know, that was not a joyous time for me. The first Christmas was just a real sad time because I had remembered, you know, Rachel was not there. Right. And uh, and then every time, you know, there's the two dates now, her birthday, the day she was killed is always, uh, you know, it's been seven times that I've had to live through that day and... Now, do you have any special rituals or things that you do, and do you get together with any of the other families for, you know, the death date or any of these? My wife and I kind of spend that day alone. Uh, we we touch base with our with the children, but we go out to Rachel's grave at the time that she was killed. That's our our ritual. I make sure that I'm not on the road speaking that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we this year we went to the high school and uh, met with uh, the principal was there. And uh, there's just a handful of people in the school. They closed. They had, they don't have school on April 20th at Columbine. And the principal got on the intercom. And uh, at the moment that the shooting started, he, with just a handful of us in the school, we heard him saying their names, which was very wow. emotional for us. What time was that? 11:20. 11:20. And then he uh, he came down the hallway, and we talked with him for a while, and then we met with the moms of one of the boys that was killed. And then we went out to Rachel's grave. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just a quiet day for us. Yeah, I right. like the ritual that is set up by by the high school for honoring and memorializing yeah. what happened that day. Yeah, that's something they've done every year and probably will continue to do. Has it? Do you find that it's changed over the last seven years as far as, is it, I don't want to say has it gotten easier, but, but has it gotten easier? Well, yes, in some ways it, it has. And, it, you know, like I said earlier, there's always a hole in your heart. Right, right. But now we have the unique opportunity, which I'm thankful for, to look back seven years and see the lives of millions of people that have been touched. But we've also seen dozens of people whose lives have been radically changed because of Rachel. Yeah, and we know of suicides that have been prevented, and we even know of a couple of school shootings that have been prevented. 
amazing. That's what I'm struck with, I guess, Daryl, that Rachel's influence will affect generations. Absolutely, and I think we, uh, it's been so fabulous to having you on the show. We have to end the show right now, and that comment of yours, Heidi, is a great comment to end the show with. Thank you so much, Daryl Scott, well, for being you. on our show. And um, Daryl Scott, uh, we love you, Rachel. We don't know her, but we've seen her picture, and I feel like we do know her through you and through the good works that you're doing, and we're grateful to you and all of your family. And you can and get the book, Rachel's Tears. And Absolutely. thank you guys for celebrating Scott's life. Yeah, uh, thank you. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.